0: Hello and welcome to the EDH Reccast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co host. First up, he's not really interested in building Slow Gurk the Overslime, but he might be interested in building Fast Gurk. That's Matt Morgan.
1: So, Joey, do you know what the uh, the Geist of St. Traft legendary spirit is? Mm-hmm. His favorite uh, breakfast cereal. Do you know what that happens to be? I do not. It happens to be booberries because. <laughs> he is a spirit I, also oh, known as a ghost matt you know what i'm Boom. i ain't
0: gonna think about all of that but i'm really happy for you or sorry that, that happened. I, that's
1: an appropriate response to what just happened
0: good good i'm glad up next he's pretty sure that lind cheerful tormentor was the nickname that they gave to paul lind
2: in the hollywood squares <laughs> television show that's dana roach that's a that's a deep cut joey I'm waiting for a char- made... Charles Nelson Riley joke next. I've I've made references that Dana got. I've, <laughs> I've done it. I have achieved victory. Hi, Dana. <laughs> well, hello, Joey. Um, where is Old Stickfinger's favorite place to trick or treat? The only thing that I know about him is that he's right behind you. It is, in fact, right behind you. Yes.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a fun fact about Old Stickfinger's is that he's always right behind you.
2: So watch out. Watch out while you're trick or treating, apparently. Uh, also, um, the bones are his money and so are the worms what the what <laughs> huh i don't i don't entirely
0: know what that reference I is i don't that like one. this <laughs> That one, I'm not happy for you. That one, I am just sorry that this happened. Anyway, let's take off and finish this intro. This is the EDH Recast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Dana, what is it that we're talking about in this week's episode?
2: We are talking about the amount of lands people run their EDH decks. Yes, indeed. Do EDH players run enough
0: lands in their commander decks? This is a really interesting topic that you guys had especially been eager to talk about. So we're going to look into it, see if maybe there's anything that the data can give us a bit more direction on, see what players are up to, and especially our feelings about people's mana bases in commander. Should be really interesting conversation. Real quick, before we get into it, let's pause and thank the folks at the command zone for handling the post-production work on our podcast. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors for the podcast as well.
2: Yes, the EDHREC cast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player, the vampire and werewolf tribes of cardboard uh, online (laughs) sellers. Just shuffle up your tribal deck and head over to Rec, click on the card in question, and choose the vendor link down
1: below. Doing so supports both the site and the show. And if you'd prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash retcast. We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels. We have patron-exclusive content that comes out each and every month, uh, so make sure you head over to e- patreon.com slash retcast. We even have a very special tier where we give a shout-out to somebody just for supporting us because we just definitely appreciate all of that support. So this week, we want to give a shout-out to the spookiest patron that we have, uh, Victor Chan, who probably is enjoying the uh, vampires that we're Getting, um, probably really like an Innistrad. <laughs>
0: that, that, that's a good vampire name. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Victor, for your support. All right, fellas, let's get into our main topic. We are talking about whether EDH players run enough lands in their decks. Matt, this was a topic that was of keen interest to you. Um, so let's enter the conversation. Let's just get our thoughts down. Do we think just before we even got numbers or any personal anecdotes or anything like that, do you think that players are running enough lands in their commander decks?
1: Um, absolutely not. If you could have seen me um, <laughs> when Dana asked the question, um, I've been shaking my head for like five minutes. Um, oh, so yeah, dang. absolutely not. Um, I And this is a conversation that comes up on the, uh, the social medias every now and then and um, came up recently and just kind of thought it's probably be a good time to kind of revisit and, and look at some numbers because... I definitely don't think folks are running enough lands. Um, I don't think I'm running enough lands even. Um, (laughs) But it it seems like the last time that we talked about our our folks running enough lands was uh, when Zendikar Rising came around and we had the the MDFCs, the modal dual-faced cards, um, which are lands on one side and spells on the other. And it seems like a good time to maybe revisit that.
0: Yeah, now that we've seen the if there's been an impact from those, that could definitely be something to pay attention to. Real quick, I also want to get uh, your thoughts, uh, Dana, real like just what do you think are players playing enough lands? Is is that a do you have the opposite opinion of Matt? Or starting the conversation off, do you agree with him? Where are you at?
2: Yeah, I, I think twenty-six twenty-seven is plenty. Um, no, no, I do not get you. you go find I a
1: complete, new podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I I agree with Matt. I think players on average are probably not running enough lands. Um, and I'll throw a caveat out here right now that will kind of cover the rest of the show. We're not talking about CEDH here. That's a whole oh. different bird. Um, the, the, the laws of physics that apply to, you know, the game we're playing doesn't really <laughs> apply there. Um, yeah, yeah. We're, we're really, since we don't play a whole lot of it,
0: we would yeah. not at all be qualified to talk about it. So we're going to go more on our, our a different social type of EDH that we are a bit more experienced with. This. So that is definitely where our thoughts For go sure. from. For
2: um, sure. I, I think players don't run enough. And I think... They, they maybe don't factor in enough things when they look at their deck and figure out how many lands it needs. I, I don't think it's, an, it's, it's a science. It's much more an art, something we've discussed in the past. But I think this is a good example of, a, of, a, of an art versus a science. And there's a lot of factors that kind of come into play to determine what the right number is for your deck. And, and I do think players maybe don't entirely
1: understand what those factors are. Well, and, and okay. I've, see, I've seen people make an argument about, well, my elf tribal deck only runs 30, but it also runs, you know, eight or elf type of variants and all these mana dorks sure. and mana rocks. And, but they take that rule and they apply it to all of their decks when that's they're, they're making the exception the rule, and that's definitely backwards.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. There are a lot of factors that can affect it. And so let's get into a few of those to see other things that we think could change those land counts justifiably, raise them up justifiably, lower them down justifiably. Let's talk about that. And right from the off, one of the first things I actually want to do is check in with the average number of lands that an EDH deck tends to contain according to the data. And uh, this was an interesting thing to see. And it's a bit the same number for a little bit now, like the average number of EDH, uh, the Excuse me, the average number of lands that appear in an EDH deck is 35. On average, an EDH deck contains 35 lands. It's been that way for a while. Then I think that that's kind of neat to see. Like it was 35 about a year ago and a little bit before that, and it's still 35 now. So that's interesting. Technically right now it's 34.9, but we're rounding because Matt, unless you've been able to uh, defy the laws of physics, I, I don't think you can run 34.9 lands in
1: like your Miri deck. I mean, time, time and space has no meaning <laughs> in, in my deck, so I, I could figure it out maybe.
0: <laughs> gotcha. But But it is just kind of interesting. I I feel like 35 is low. That like I open up a page like Zaxara, for example, the the Hydra Commander, and I see that the average Zaxara deck is playing 35 lands. And I'm just like, but how are you gonna play all of your X spells and your Hydras? I feel like you need more lands than that. So starting off, for me, seeing the, the actual number there, I also agree with you guys. I feel like that's too low.
1: Well and looking at my own decks too, I only have two decks that have 35. Everything else has more. Um that's my Alila um, Artful Provocateur deck which is like Historic Tribal so there's already a bunch of like Signets and uh, Artifacts that are producing a bunch of Mana so like that's intentionally low because I'm intentionally playing a lot of uh just Mana generating Artifacts and then my Meriwether Light Duelist deck which like that's the deck that like I've tuned and pruned the most over the years I'm most familiar with so like I'm comfortable being down there but I'm also running two of the MDFCs uh, from Zendikar Rising as well so like 37 land-ish cards, but 35 actual lands. Um, And even then, like it's it's such a tight list. I wish I could run a little bit more.
0: Gotcha. And Dana, um, what about your experiences there then, when you hear that number? Same reaction?
2: Yeah. um, I I think that's just not quite enough. (laughs) Um, For most people, the lowest amount I'm running is 34, and that's in a deck that's encroaching on CEDH territory. It's not necessarily a cedh deck but it's playing that kind of game um it's not one i play terribly often but like even in that deck it's 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 got like a 1.7 average cmc um it's just a super low to the ground deck. And even that, I just, like, anything less than 34 seems really, really difficult to to get an opening hand. Like, I- ignoring the rest yeah. of the game, your ability to have an opening starting hand once you're at those low numbers gets really, really challenging. It, unless you're playing a deck with a crazy amount of, like, zero drop rocks or something. It just, that's, that's, it's really tough. And even if you're using the Mana Dorks in that situation to make up for lands, you know, one... Board Wipe, one Pyroclasm, one Earthquake set to one is going to basically end your game. Um, it's, well, it's just so not Dana, enough.
0: Dana, I, I want to pause there because you didn't actually say what the commander is, that, that deck that you're playing 34 lands.
2: Uh, Edri- <laughs> so Edric's by Master of Trest, So it's a deck running you know almost exclusively one drop creatures. Gotcha, okay. So yeah, that is the kind of thing where you definitely don't need a whole lot
0: because you would totally flood out because you just your curve is so low, Mm -hmm. you don't need to cast five drops late game. And even your late game spells are like a Beastmaster Ascension, which pumps up all of your stuff, but it's still only three
2: mana. It's also a deck that if it gets to late game, I'll probably already lost. Like if the game has gotten to that (laughs) point, it's kind of irrelevant what I'm drawing. I'm probably not going to win at that point. Yeah, I I think
0: that totally makes sense. So then I'm going to ask you, Kind of there, Dana, like you're hinting at one drops and mana curve. Is mana curve like one of the primary factors that you consider when you're choosing the number of lands for your deck? Or are there different factors going into that?
2: I don't think you want to ignore mana curve, but I think mana curve is overrated in commander compared to other formats. Not that it's not important, but it's a much bigger deal elsewhere where like you want where you're going to have, you know, four of a one drop, four of a two drop, whatever. And it's very easily easy to like have that perfect kind of curve in a commander deck. It's much more difficult. And the situations where you want to be dropping those cards are much more situational. Um, there's a lot more variables in, in play versus playing against one particular deck. Um mana curves are are relevant and you want to keep an eye on it, but I think it's much less important in Commander than it is elsewhere.
1: Yeah, the, the typical deck they always talk about, like you want it to look like a bell curve. Um, I have decks, granted, it's kind of intentional, but it's just like an exponential curve. Um, my my Vivictus <laughs> has uh, the dire deck uh that that deck is just like it's four. like the curve starts at four i've i've joked about that on the the stream over at Um, twitch.tv slash edh (laughs) reccast but yeah it's just like that that deck just it's kind of like dana's edric deck um it's doing things that just the typical deck shouldn't be but we at least also know that deck is an outlier not the rule that we're going to follow as the norm for the rest of our decks
0: right right and and that is also an important thing to know too like if you open up lord windgrace's page for example you will see that the average lord windgrace deck plays 40 lands which for the record is good i'm really happy to see that number there because i feel like 40 is like a minimum number for landfall decks i feel like that's really really important to see but yeah that is also not going to be that that doesn't speak to the average deck because not every deck is playing landfall so those strategies especially matt as you're mentioning with like you have so many six seven eight and even nine drops in that deck that the land count is going to be wildly completely different based off of you know me playing a typical reanimator deck instead
1: i i, to I definitely different. two need, i need two hands worth of fingers to count the uh, average cmc of most cards yes
0: <laughs> just make sure that those fingers are not old stick fingers cuz oh right moving on
1: moving on <laughs> i don't like this
0: so, so a number that we often hear sort of touted um, along online when people ask for what is a good number of lands to play in an EDH deck is between 36 and 38 lands. Matt, is that a number that resonates with you? Is that a number that like a range that you feel comfortable with? Is that like thumbs up? Where, where are you at with yeah, that? Yeah, th- thumbs that number up. Th- 36
1: to 38, depending on how aggressive the deck is. Um, how fast do you want to come out the gates? What's what? a loose idea of your curve, like maybe you want to start at 36 because you're playing a lot of cheaper creatures, um, 38 if you're playing, you know, some bigger stuff. Um, I really like the new pre-cons, you know, at, you know when you compare the, the pre-constructed decks that Wizards has made for Commander, um, if you look at the old ones, like, they had, what, like, 33 lands in a couple of them? Like, it was uh-huh. atrocious. Um, it was bad. These days... It was bad. It's much, much better. Um, I think most of the pre-cons these days are coming out with anywhere from 37 to 40 even. Uh, I like that a lot more because it's, to me at least, if you're flooding out, you're you're getting too much mana, you're drawing too many lands, at least when you do draw a business spell, you're gonna be able to cast it right away. You're not missing anything because as soon as you draw any sort of action, it's gonna happen. Whereas if you don't draw enough lands, you're sitting there waiting and you don't get to do anything. So every time you draw another great spell that'd be so cool to cast right now, you still don't have the mana to do it and then you're discarding cards to hand size. Whereas you're at least being able to play lands every single turn. I think that's a big, big thing that a lot of folks um, kind of go back and forth on between too many and and not enough lands.
0: Uh, That also, that range really resonates with me, especially because it feels, if we're playing like 36% of our deck is lands, 37% of our deck is made of lands, that feels similar to playing a, like a range of 22 to 23 lands in a 60 card format. And when I looked through like recent standard tournament winning deck lists, I did notice that a majority of the deck lists there played between 22 and 24 lands. So I feel like just like the 60 card formats have found a range that seems to be comfortably competitive for them in there, it feels like commander players have uh, converged upon that 36 to 38 range because it has basically a similar ratio. Dana, do you also like the number range or are I, you going to tell us that you're running 26 lands? What's going on with you? Um,
1: I, I
2: do like that range. I tend to be in a, at the bottom end of it. I tend to run around 36. Um, 3D there's a couple reasons for that. I, I I do think the amount of colors in your deck make a difference. I think the more colors oh. you have, maybe the more lands you want. I tend to play mono-color decks or two-color decks, so there's a little bit less worry about like fixing for me, so I'm relatively comfortable at 36. I would say I probably also run more small, efficient draw spells than most players do. Um, my decks are filled with like kind of like the Knights Whisper, Sign in Blood, Expressive Iteration, kind of like two mana draw two kind of spells. I just play a ton of those in almost all of my decks. So as long as I can get those like first two or so lands down, it's pretty easy for me to hit that draw spot that lets me find that, that next land and then get kind of things rolling from there. Um, so I, I found, like, 36, I tend to be okay. Anything less than that, though, I just hit those... Those spells sometimes where you just don't have enough land, so I like to stay around thirty six usually. I
0: I love what you mentioned there with the knight's whisper stuff. I actually feel like that greases the wheels. Immensely. Mm-hmm. Like you and Matt might play the same number of draw spells, but if you're playing the low end Charter Course Knights Whisper stuff and Matt's full up on all of those Return of the Wild Speaker and Rishkar's Expertise, y'all might both have 10 draw spells in your deck, but yours have a very different placement on the curve than Matt's, and that will affect your mana consistency quite a lot.
2: Yeah, I think that's what makes a huge difference. Um, I think the the deck I'm playing that has uh, um, 35, or it might even be 34 now, is my Talran Sky Summoner deck. But it also has a gazillion one mana cantrips in it—the kind of portent or ponders or brainstorm kind of spells. Um, and I like, like, there's like thirty or so different one mana spells. That let me dig down in that deck because I'm using those spells to make drakes. Um, it, it, that deck is it's very easy for me in that situation to get away with 34 lands because as long as I can start the game out with a couple I can always dig down and find what I need because I, I'm just I'm literally always gonna have two or three of those spells in my hand. That's not normal either. That's like one of those situations where you're kind of breaking the laws of physics as well. Um, but but similarly, like if you, you know, if you're not playing the Knights Whisper spells, but you are playing a bunch of ponder kind of effects in your deck because you dislike cantrips in blue, or you're playing a bunch of faithless looting kind of things in, in red or something, you might also be able to get get away with running in that like 35, 36 range much more easily than somebody else that isn't running a bunch of those. But you kind of have to know, and when I say a bunch, I'm not talking like two or three, I'm talking you need to be looking at like six or eight or 10 of those things to consistently be able to count on
1: having one in hand when you need it to dig down. Yeah. My, my real, the Everwise deck is the exact same way. That is the lowest yep. that I have. It's 34 lands, mm-hmm. but that deck is literally just designed to just churn through the deck. Um, so which is actually funny because like, I've either always been flooded, it seems, or I've been screwed with mana. It seems, um, one way or another that that deck only operates in extremes. I swear that deck hates me, but it's really funny
0: to watch. Like, I'm sorry for your pain, but it is like really interesting. I I do
1: it to myself apparently,
0: but like, (laughs) it's so consistent how much it like, it's, I'm sorry. I don't mean to, the inconsistency
1: is so consistent. Yes. I, I get it. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, like the whole deck is designed just to like crank through the deck. Like if I get two mana, um, I have access to th- one of like the twenty spells I have that's going to get me access to getting at least like four or five more cards deep, and that's generally enough to get me to the next land. It's very very similar to Dana's Talran deck where. Yes, it's intentionally being very low, but it also has a ton of cantrip effects where um, one mana, I use a spell to draw another card. Um, And then usually it's it's getting a couple cards deep, whether it's like Faithless Looting, where I get to, to draw two and discard two, ponder where i get to look at the top three cards or I get to shuffle even if i don't like any of those cards and then i still draw a card so you're always ending up um at parity with cards in hand and that's a good way to find other cards in your deck
0: i so one of the things that feels like we're really hitting on here isn't just that something like a mana curve can affect uh the number of lands that you might want to play but especially the card velocity that you've got going on mm-hmm. within the deck can be a really big thing that greases the wheels to ensure that you find those cards those lands to actually play so just the reliability of of finding lands, if you're drawing enough cards or discarding them and then drawing a bunch more, that level of card velocity can secure your land count a, a bit more easily than some other decks that don't have that same level of velocity, is basically what I'm picking up on both your guys' takes there.
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely a big factor and probably one that's more important than most players realize is that the ability to dig down, you know, draw card velocity, like you said, is a much bigger factor than I think most people realize. I think they they tend to fixate on either mana curve or average CMC. um, And not they're not important, but I think those matter a little bit less than some other factors, particularly what your card draw and velocity are. Well, and and
1: kind of adjacent to that thought too, um, card selection is also very, very important. I think that's one reason why Sylvan Library is as expensive as it is because the effect is so powerful. You're able to kind of help control what cards you're going to be drawing in green, which is something that typically green doesn't do. Instead, you just draw 20 cards, um, which is what green normally does. Uh, but being able to control you know, the, the next few cards, like, say, you know, you have your Sylvan Library trigger, you look at the top three cards of your library, you're like, I really don't need this six drop right now because it's only turn three. Um, I'm going to put it another card down, and I'm going to draw this land that I need just to keep everything dropping. And so you can kind of hold off on drawing a certain card until when you really want it that's another huge factor there's um, a lot of effects in blue that are dealing with this um, whether it's like Soothe saying where you can just look at the top x cards of your library and and, and rearrange them um, but there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of control what is happening with the top of your deck and that also matters
2: the the silver in the library one's a really good point matt um, i've noticed when i drop like that turn two or three silver in the library and i wound up taking all three cards in the next turn (laughs) my thought process is almost never oh i want all of three these three cards it's almost always i just want one or two of these out of the way like Mm -hmm. like i just want to get them into my hand not to have use for them which i I, I may do but like nope i just need to be able to see three different things next turn i want to have the option to to look at you know three cards now and three cards next turn as opposed to just looking at like four cards
0: See, it, it's so funny because Matt was talking about card selection and I was so convinced that Dana was about to be like, card selection, what do you mean? Selvin Library just take just them says all. you lose it. <laughs> He's selecting
1: cards. all three cards, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much. Uh, Dana, you, you hinted at something earlier that I want to circle back to. You had mentioned that playing more colors would affect the number of lands that you were inclined to play. Since you build so many monocolor and two-color decks, like you've got your Jeru and your Jury, for example, those are things that you feel more comfortable slimming down on the number of lands that you've got because there are fewer colors to get. Is that a feeling, Matt, that you share as well? If you're playing more colors, does that make you more inclined to play more lands, or do you think it's probably kind of a wash either way. What do you think about that statement that Dana made earlier? For
1: me, it's a wash. Um, when I was looking through all of my decks, um, typically the amount of colors that I'm playing doesn't really affect the um, like the number of lands that I'm playing. Um, I mentioned that my my Alila deck plays 35 lands, which is on the low end, that's a three color deck. Yeah. Um, and then I have two color decks that are playing 37. Um, so it doesn't really have that big of an impact in, in my decks that I've noticed. Um, but I understand where that thought comes from because um, you, you have to prioritize you know your, your color fixing. Um, you're typically probably wanna play a few more like ramp spells or anything like that just to get access to all of your colors. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely understand why you would want to play more lands. Um, that just doesn't reflect in my decks because I tend to prioritize like the lands that I am playing. Um, they're there for a reason and it's typically I'm just playing more duels um, as opposed to just playing more lands, just volume
0: gotcha so dana i, I guess i also want to i don't want to speak for you if you want to elaborate more on that thought um just how, how it manifests yeah sure um
2: I'm, I'm not sure where i am with it either so so in a monocolor deck as long as i've drawn lands They will get the job done like i don't care for the most part i mean occasionally you have a situation where like you've drawn three of the eight utility lands you have or something and the colorless mana doesn't solve your problem but like i I, I mean that's a problem more specific to you probably yeah i was being
0: generous when i said eight um. <laughs> Seriously. Um, Eight is more is more closely affiliated to the number of basically in your decks. Just be
2: honest, um, man. <laughs> but no. So in a monocolored deck, though, usually, um, if you have lands out, they're going to do what you need to do. They're going to cast the brainstorm to dig down further. They're going they're going to cast that night's Whisperer. They will let you dig down to find what you need. In a two color deck, that's generally true as well. I found. It's the three-color deck for me where things get tricky, where I can't always rely on the three lands I have in hand to provide the colors I need to let me do what I want to do. In that case, I might wanna I, I, I tend to feel like I wanna have more choices. I maybe want to have four lands in hand so I can then play the ones that are gonna get me what I want. You know, maybe that's less of an issue if you have the absolute perfect mana base that's gonna make you, you know, filled with cards that make every single color you will need, but Short of that, I feel like it does make a difference. I think the option to have more lands in hand in your opening hand so you can play the appropriate colors to let you cast a spell to take that next step is a much bigger deal than it is with one or two colored decks.
0: All right. I I can totally... I'm, I, I can absolutely see that. I feel like one of the things that's biasing me right now is that I have my three-color deck at the moment is the Mimeoplasm. And since that's a reanimator deck that's cheating costs out the wazoo, sure. that that's I think is the deck of mine that plays the fewest number of lands because I'm just constantly cheating the mana costs. But I think that that's giving me an incorrect impression. And we can talk about strategies a little bit later on. But when I do think of other decks that I have that are four colors, like Rayhan and Ishai, I think I am sticking closer to like 37 to 38 because I think what you're saying is is true and when I think of the monocolor decks that I have it can be a little bit lower than that. So I haven't really decided but I do like the logic that you're putting out there because there's a, a the choice involved there again back to that selection does feel like a pretty big deal and it's nice to be cognizant of that.
2: So kind of in a similar vein to um, the amount of colors in your deck um does the commander's mana cost affect what you guys are 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 doing for land count is that something you take into consideration when you're actually doing your your total lands for a deck i like this question
0: a lot because i think i think my answer is an immediate and resounding yes i uh, w- uh, yes with a caveat dang it as soon as i said <laughs> it, i'm like no there's an asterisk on this because i just talked about mimioplasm and mimioplasm is a five mana commander but i'm running very few but in that deck mimmeoplasm is much closer to my top end so i am building with that in mind whereas something like like marin i am going to shape the ramp that i have in that deck around when i want to cast the commander um Like I could overload that deck with a bunch of two mana ramp, for instance, uh, and a bunch of, you know, enough lands to guarantee that I'm going to get to play her on turn three. But on turn three, she doesn't necessarily do a whole lot because I don't have anything in the graveyard for her to get back compared to if I had a commander that's only, you know, two mana, for instance, that is going to be a pretty different experience. And if I've got a commander that's seven mana, you know, if I'm playing some Vishkal deck, for example, like, yeah, that's going to make a a pretty, a pretty sizable difference. I think the closest example is actually uh, probably my Yanet deck. Uh, my unit that's five mana and the curve itself is pretty high like that's a thing that i want to be able to make sure that i hit and if i miss an early land drop i'm not going to cast that commander at all so yeah i absolutely think that the mana cost and the commander plays a big role for me
1: um i i think about it i i don't know if i do anything about it <laughs> but I, i've thought about it every now and then i guess um but i mean so looking at my at my decks um it doesn't really play into how i execute the mana bases. Miri, um, like I mentioned, 35 lands, uh for a three CMC, but th- that whole deck is a bunch of small creatures leading into some some big haymaker turns. Um, so the, the, the land count in general is is pretty pretty low. Uh, for my like my uh Vivictus Asmati deck though, that's a bunch of big creatures. So I, I think it's more just the style of deck as opposed to my commander's six mana value. Uh, that's what's playing a bigger role because I have 37 lands in my Ukima and Kazir deck, which is the, the partner deck, but all I really care about is that that three-mana Ukima, um, but it's still playing 37 lands, which is a decent amount. So um, I would say that I consider your question, Dana, don't do anything about it.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I, I kind of don't either, but I think for a different reason. Um, in, in my case, it, it just coincidentally enough, the decks I have with higher CMC commanders tend to be ones where the commander isn't a super important part of what the deck does. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, Aspiria in my Sphinx tribal deck is just a Sphinx in the command zone. Like, that's why Aspiria is there. The deck doesn't need Aspiria to run. I sometimes forget... <laughs> the is there in the <laughs> command zone and they don't cast it. Because I have enough other things going on and the deck doesn't, it's not like a, it's not a part of the deck, it's just a free Sphinx I have there. Yeah. Um, So as a result, like multiple decks of mine with higher CMC commanders just so happen to work that way where the commander isn't necessarily important to be on the field for the deck to function. Um, So it it winds up like not being something I worry about just because it never comes up in how the decks are built and how they play.
0: I, I will throw in a thing here, even if this isn't like, this is related to the mana cost question, but not exactly the mana cost question but like the number of commanders i have in the command zone also affects how many lands i want that deck to to run if i'm playing a partner deck i've got two command taxes that i have to be tracking there and i'll likely have to pay both of them maybe once maybe twice throughout that game like that also plays into like if i'm gonna have two commanders that feels like i have an even more of an obligation to make sure that the land base can support that and hit consistent land drops to make sure that i can actually cast one or both of them, again, in the late game, since those mana costs are going to climb up quite a bit once the commander tax starts doubling on two commanders in the zone.
1: That, that is a really good point that I hadn't really considered. I also don't play very many partner decks, but having to worry about, you know, how many spells you're going to be able to cast managing twice the commander tax, like that's a really good point that I think most players, including me, because I'm just now thinking about it, <laughs> uh, don't think about enough because um, that adds up, man, that, that the, the commander tax, like that two mana, um, but just twice as much. Yeah, it,
0: it, it's it's really cool. I mean, I, I, I really enjoy playing it. Like my Virdus and Gorm deck, for example, I love it. And Virdus is just a little three mana guy. But as soon as I put him down onto the battlefield, everyone and their mother is going to try and get rid of Virdus because no one wants him to cut their life in half because it's very scary when that happens, which means he ends up costing like five mana, seven mana. I've cast him for, I've played an 11 mana 1-1. In, in my lifetime because of how much fear his uh, hate, how much hate he just gets over time. But I've also got another commander that I also have to contend with. So there's a lot juggling there. Um, so that's uh, an interesting point too. So I, I'm, I'm I'm interested in that, Dana, because I think that I need to study a bit more to really answer your question, but I know for sure the answer to the partner's question. Um, but mana cost in the command zone, I feel like it is actually pretty reasonable to shape a curve around that. That does actually make a lot of sense to me, even though I know that Matt disagrees because of all of his big dragon, Vivekta stuff.
1: I mean, I'm just just giving you just anecdotal evidence. Don't treat it like anything scientific (laughs) because there's zero science behind anything that I do with my decks.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. Well, there are some other numbers that I do want to get to, but I think I'll have to save that for the back half of the show because there is a segment that we've put off for far too long. Guys, how about we challenge some stats? Let's do that. Yeah.
1: Is, is, is this the segment that is sponsored by Altersleeves.com <laughs> where you can head to Altersleeves.com slash EDH Retcast to get all sorts of just awesome alternate arts for your 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 cards, have it printed on a sleeve instead of the card itself, um, play around interchangeable, protect your cards all at the same time. Is this that segment where you can go to Altersleeves.com slash EDH Retcast because they sponsor this certain segment? <laughs> And we have EDH Rex
0: sleeves that you can buy there with our lovely visage on them. Yes, that is in fact the segment that I'm talking about, Matt. Yeah, okay, let's perfect. About, let's talk about challenge the stats because there's so much data on EDH Rec, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes I think that cards see too much or too little play, so we love to challenge those stats. Dana, how about you start us off this week? What's your challenge?
2: My challenge is brought to us by a listener, um, Hegemon78 on Twitter, and it's for the card Victory Chimes. It is a three mana. And and we've been talking about that a lot lately. The the good three mana rocks we've gotten in the last couple years. Um, victory chimes would qualify as one. It it is a three mana rock and it says uh, a player of your choice adds colorless mana to their mana pool. So um, the fact that it's colorless and not any color does hurt a little bit. However, it also has a text: untap victory chimes during each other player's untap step. And that's very very decent in general but there's a couple of commanders where it really shines and it's just probably not seeing enough play in those decks Um, the first and foremost is probably Krufix God of Horizons where mana doesn't drain from your mana pool Uh, victory chimes over the course of just one spinner on the table is adding four mana to your mana pool um, if you're tapping and untapping it on every player's turn which you would be doing 25% 25% is pretty good representation, but I feel like it should be in way more Krufix decks, and so does Hegemon 78. Um, the other two decks, though, he points out are uh, Nimrus, Unas Trickster, and Afara, God of the Polis, two commanders that reward you for casting spells in other players' turns. And when you do so, you get to, to draw a card. Um, so you try to, like, spread your spells around, and, and instead of dumping them all in one turn, you want to, like, do as many spells one at a time on, on kind of other players' turns, particularly with Afara, Um, Victory Chimes is a great way to let you do that on as many turns as possible and draw a card every time you do it. It's in only 4% of Afara decks. Oh. And there's also, you know, that's really good if your commander has an activated ability as well, like... Kenrith the Return King that has a bunch of activated abilities ah. <laughs> and it's also only in 4% of Kenrith decks. So it's not the kind of card I think you want to run in in, in every single deck, but there's a lot of places where it does crazy good work and it should be in more CruFix decks, more afar decks, more Kenrith decks for sure. So I'm, I'm with uh, Hegemon78 here. Um, Victory Chimes should see more play
0: that is a really cool challenge and Dana since you talked about a mana rock I am also going to talk about a mana rock for my challenge the stats but I'm actually going to go the opposite direction I'm going to talk about one that I think is seeing too much play in a specific mono black deck the commander that I'm talking about here is Chainer Dementia Master which fun fact before I built Sir Conrad the Grim the commander that I was going to play for mono black was Chainer Dementia Master but then Conrad came out and stole my heart away and he won't give it back he's just too beautiful Chainer Dementia Master is a really cool five mana 3-3 a 3-3 minion legend that can revive creatures from your graveyard he gives all of your nightmares plus one plus one and you can pay three black mana and three life to reanimate a creature from your graveyard and that creature becomes black and a nightmare in addition to its other creature types. And excuse me, I'm realizing that I misread that. It doesn't just return a creature from your graveyard. It's any graveyard. Lord, this thing is so good. There's only like 445 Chainer decks out there and there need to be more. This guy's awesome. The issue that he sometimes uh, runs into is that when Chainer himself leaves play, all of your nightmares would get exiled. But the thing that this Chainer deck loves to do is to find one of those awesome creatures that you love to reanimate, like a Grey Merchant of Asphodel that is going to drain so much life from your enemy And then pair that with something like a Viscera Seer so that you can just sacrifice that creature all over again and then immediately bring it back by paying that three mana cost. It's so, so awesome. This is a very, very cool reanimator deck. But there is a mana rock in here that I don't know if it actually needs, and it's a very expensive one at that. I'm talking about Jet Medallion. Two mana artifact, black spells you cast cost one generic mana less to cast. 41% of the 445 chainer decks are playing this one. And while it is a cool card for Mono Black, I don't think it's necessary for this one, because given my experience with playing Chainer, a whole lot of your mana goes into that activated ability, which isn't reduced by the Medallion at all. And I feel like it would be more opportune to get a Mana Rock that can pay for any of your spells, including your colorless spells, which Jet Medallion wouldn't affect at all, and a Mana Rock that's going to supply you mana for Chainer's activated ability, which the Jet Medallion does absolutely nothing to. So, a $27, $30 card here, a Mana Rock, that I actually don't know if this deck really needs. I would be a little bit critical of that one and see if there might be other mana supplements that you can use instead of this very expensive Jet Medallion for a very, very cool commander indeed.
1: Well, Joey, I, I'm i happy for you. So I'm going to go to something that makes <laughs> me happy too because uh, if let's just make everybody happy here. Um, I'm going to talk about Celestia card because we should be. Um, so Kyler, Cigardian Emissary, get... This card is super fun. Um, I bought the, the pre-con this came in, um, Human Tribal. This this deck has just been a lot of fun. If you've watched twitch.tv slash EDH RecCast on Wednesday evenings, you'd have seen this um, a couple times. And boy, howdy, I, I've just been enjoying learning about this deck, navigating a bunch of little things about it. So um, one little synergy that I really want to dial in on is Kyler's ability that um, other humans you control get plus one, plus one for each counter on Kyler. Um So that's that's very important. It's each counter, not each plus one, plus one counter, which a lot of people I've seen um, kind of just assume it has to be a plus one, plus one counter. Um, And you get to put a bunch of plus one, plus one counters onto Kyler because whenever another human enters the battlefield, you do put a plus one, plus one counter onto Kyler's Sigardian Emissary. Um, So typically you're going to be building a lot of human tribal synergies, but there's one that I really like that, man, folks, that you, you, want, you want to put this in the deck. Um, Slippery Bogbonder is a card that I'm challenging. It is three and a green for a human druid that has flash and hexproof. Um, it's a three three and says, when Slippery Bogbonder enters the battlefield, put a hexproof counter on target creature, then move any number of counters from among creatures you control onto that creature. So. Not only do you get to put all sorts of plus one plus one counters that you may incidentally be playing onto Kyler, but you put a hex-proof counter onto Kyler, which does actually count as a counter that's going to make all of your creatures bigger. So at worst, Slippery Bogbonder makes Kyler give all your give all your humans plus two plus two because of the abilities. Um it protects your commander. It's uh, another human which is going like so slippery bog binder essentially is a 5-5 five five that makes sh- your your commander hexproof this card is so silly uh just just play this. It's only in 26% of Kyler decks so far. Um, this is probably one of the best cards in the deck. It's a dollar card right now. Um, it's so good. If you have any leftover Acoria cards from when Akoria was dealing with all sorts of keyword counters, that's also going to feed into Kyler's ability. Um, that's just one synergy that, man, I I discovered on accident, and I love it now, and I think everybody should be taking advantage of it just because, yeah, Slippery Bog Bonder, 26%. Oh, it's so good. So good. Best card of the deck
0: i love that like leading into your challenge you're just like yeah joey did a reanimator thing let's talk about selesnia and then you genuinely did show me up with an absolutely excellent challenge because you have used that in games i, overt, which I did and that synergy has indeed done the wrecking of the face that it's really powerful we've seen it in person dana and i can i think personally attest to how powerful that ends up being and how much of a nuisance it is that it's so good and difficult to deal with in addition to all of that
1: I mean, the, the card basically acts like if Swiftfoot Boots were a 5-5 five, five creature that also had hexproof. Like, that's what this card <laughs> is.
0: That's... that's. Um... I don't want to think about that world where the swift of boots also become the five five creatures. That seems that seems more like a Dana strategy. Actually, I'm pretty sure he's done, he's managed to. I def that. <laughs> I, I have absolutely
1: <laughs> killed people with swift of boots that are anim- animated before for sure. <laughs> that it's it's an image straight out of Bedknobs and Broomsticks, the old yes, Disney exactly. classic where the the armor comes to life. <laughs> Perfect. It's very
0: Fantasia. Okay, uh, guys, let's get back to talking about the number of lands that EDH players are running in their decks and whether we think it's enough. And I hinted before 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 we took that break for challenges stats that I had a little bit more data to share and I would like to share it now Specifically, I was kind of curious whether not just the number of colors that you play has a role in the number of lands in a deck, but do these specific colors have an effect on the number of lands that players use on average? And the answer is definitely yes. Basically, in the data, we can actually pick out that decks that include green, on average, tend to play one more land than decks that don't include green. For example, the red-green color combination... Those commanders tend to run an average of about 35 lands, while almost every other two-color combination runs, like, 33 lands. Or every three-color combination that includes green, such as, you know, Naya and Jund, they run, like, 35 or 34 lands on average. But every three-color combination that doesn't include green, like Esper or Mardu, they run an average of 33. So, Matt, I feel like I'm going to pass this back to you now, hearing that the specific numbers of decks that include green actually affects the number of lands is this something you're happy to hear expected to see what do you think when you hear all of those numbers
1: Um, i think expected to see is a good way to put it Uh, especially when you consider you have you know your your cultivate your far seek those types of of ramp spells that are getting lands out of your library putting them onto the battlefield Um, just that's kind of green's calling card when it comes to ramp is they're they're putting more lands in there because they're pulling more lands out whereas if you're playing is it or grixis or or esper whatever it is uh your your ramp typically is going to come in the form of artifacts uh, just kind of how the most efficient are whether it's the signets your soul rings um anything like that you're kind of leaning on that a little bit more so yeah it it does add up Um, And everything kind of checks out why Green would be running more lands on average, because their ramp packages are going to be more reliably land-based. Dana, what do you think?
2: Um, It doesn't surprise me, but I I also think that maybe that isn't the right way to do it. Um, I, I think Green's land ramp gives them more options to fix. And you can maybe get away with slightly less lands there, whereas I think the other colors that don't have that option—they're relying on mana rocks to fix. Plenty of which, including my challenge of stacks, pick victory gems, don't fix your colors. So I think you you need to have a little bit more reliably, uh, or, or have a more reliable chance to draw those lands that are going to make you multiple colors and and have an option of what lands to play to get you the colors you need. Um, So, yeah, it makes sense, but I I don't know if I necessarily uh, ascribe to that logic myself. I'm I'm so happy you said that, because when I
0: saw those, I was just like, well, then the Esper and the Mardu and the Grixis need to stop playing 33 lands on average. and They need to play more. Yes. They need to go up. This number is too low. I still feel that way, that this number is too low, and I just want to see the land count increase, because I feel like this is not consistent enough. Like, no. So, Matt, Matt, I'm sorry, but like... I want all of the other ones to, to be there on the same level. I don't. I
1: I, I said that I think that's why that's happening. I didn't say I agree with it. I I think gotcha. these people gotcha. running thirty three lands are a little out of their minds anyway. Well, <laughs> yeah, they probably are. Actually, yeah.
0: Well, so speaking of out of your mind, then here's a fun fact that um, that now I'm going to wield this over you, Matt. I also looked at the numbers for monocolored decks, and here's a weird twist. This is the one case where green doesn't have more lands than the other monocolors. The average green deck contains 34 lands, and the average mono black deck contains 35. And I found that very very fun. Ha ha ha! In your face, Mister Green Man. Mono black is the best. Wah ha ha!
1: I mean, well, if, if you want to take it that way, um, colorless decks run 35.3 <laughs> lands on average. So, nanny nanny <laughs> boo
0: boo No, you, you've absolutely got me there. No, it's, <laughs> it's absolutely true. But, but in those cases, I feel like there is a, a pretty clear reason that you can draw for that. Like, Mono Black loves the Cabal Coffers or Cabal Stronghold Synergy. So, more Swamps is absolutely like part of an essential game plan for Mono Black. And as for a colorless deck, I mean, there are fewer possible spells out there to run in the first place. So I feel like that has a really big effect. Not only that, but as we were talking about earlier, where does the commander's mana cost affect the number of lands that you'd play? Well, some of the best colorless commanders are things like Kozilek, shout out to Ashlyn Rose, and that's a 10 mana creature. So yeah, you would want to play more lands that you can actually cast your colorless commander in the first place.
1: Well, Joey, I think that just as much as anything with these monocolor land counts is the strategy that typically is employed by each of these colors. Like mono-red is typically kind of known as the the aggressive color so it makes sense why mono red is only running 33 lands on average or why mono blue is doing that as well because like dana pointed out with his talrand deck there are so many one mana efficient cantrips where you're getting a lot of card selection that you're able to find those lands whereas with mono green mono black like those are typically bigger mana type of strategies there Uh, so they have to be playing more lanes just because they want more in play and they don't have that type of card selection blue does or just the the all-out gun at speed that mono red does so i think the strategy plays just as much as a factor as anything else with why any of these monocolored decks are are playing the lands they are.
0: And and that honestly is going to be another huge factor that I think we've kind of obliquely addressed, but we haven't directly addressed is that like the strategy itself is going to be one of the most deciding factors here. If you're playing landfall, yeah, that's not going to be a 33 land deck. It's just not going to be the case, but I feel like that's not even necessarily the only example there like one of the reasons that we might see more lands in more colors, for instance, could be because Of Like a super friend strategy, for instance, like that is the kind of strategy that you're going to have a lot of like five and six mana planeswalkers you need to hit them consistently. So that is the type of strategy that would really encourage you to play more of those lands. Whereas if you're playing like Dana, for example, you have an elf ball deck, uh, just an elf tribal deck. That is the kind of thing that is low to the ground and more aggressive and that that strategy on its own is just going to completely change the amount of resources that you provide in the in the land base just on its face the strategy plays such a huge role and i guess we had like talked about that peripherally but maybe not directly
2: yeah and that was definitely a situation where i noticed in that deck i think i was running 38 initially and i I just drew too many lands um Mm -hmm. the amount of ramp i had additionally it's a commander deck where the commander taps for mana um, so, so making mana just wasn't a problem there. If I, you know, happened to not see land on turn six, it was a way um, less pro, a, a way lesser problem than it would have been in plenty weather decks you know what that's a huge
0: point too marwin your deck there actually makes mana herself i would expect to see that if your commander is the one that can produce mana like a belby Corrupted observer deck for example Mm -hmm. that can do a lot to smooth out your land necessities your lock of scorch thrash might be another example like commanders that produce mana on their own that can also be a really big factor that allows you to have a more comfortable closer to 35 compared to a deck that might be hungrier for like the 37 or 38 when planning for the long game they don't have that instant ramp right there in their zone so that also, is going to play a huge, huge factor in all of this. Kind of circling around to the strategy, I think one of them that I uh, mentioned earlier is I play a bunch of reanimator decks. I'm constantly cheating costs into play. I don't wanna pay nine mana for a creature. I wanna cheat it into play. That's another type of strategy that would also encourage me. Just like Matt, you were mentioning with the, the mono red aggro or stuff like that. That can be a faster strategy. Well, when I'm cheating mana costs with the Reanimator, that's another strategy that I'm like, I feel a little bit more comfortable than I do in my other decks if I play a few less lands here, cause I'm just gonna cheat those costs anyway. So that's great.
1: Yeah, well, and, and this is another reason too, like you said, having having mana in the command zone. Another reason why Rafalos definitely stay banned um because you you want to talk about like all the mana that card can generate it's it's a little ludicrous
0: there you go so here's a left turn in the conversation now we often hear this adage that if you add two mana rocks or if you add two sources of ramp you can remove one land dana let let let's ask you first Is this an adage that you agree with or that you disagree with when you see that kind of uh, logic floating around online as it seems to do a whole lot? What is your main thought about that idea?
2: I think if somebody asked me if I had heard the old adage that if it's raining in the morning, make sure to have a big breakfast, my response would be (laughs) that adage makes no sense because those two (laughs) things have nothing to do with one another. (laughs) I feel the same way here. The amount of ramp and mana rocks I have in my deck has nothing to do with how many lands I play. Now, that's not, of course, universally true. If you're playing some kind of a super-fast combo deck, you might not care about making that fourth landfall because your deck's trying to combo off and win super quickly, and as long as you have a couple lands, enough to play those rocks, whatever, maybe that's going to get you there. There are definitely exceptions where that's maybe true. By and large, however making your land drops is a whole different thing than ramping ahead with mana rocks. Those two things really aren't that related and I want to be doing both of those things every
1: turn. Dana, okay. I'm going to need you to say all of that over again because that <laughs> adage you just made up, at least I hope you made up and it's not some old prospector talk, like <laughs> I was laughing the entire way through that. I used so. to say
2: that in the mine every morning before we'd go oh. down and dig coal.
0: <laughs> that, that means, that's going to be my new ringtone. That was absolutely brilliant. Okay, so Matt, what do you think do you think that adding more ramp can be a, an excusable justification for slimming down on the land count Again, um, we're talking about more of the, the social we're not talking about competitive stuff um, but right. in, in the the type of games that we're playing
1: um I don't think I would ever do that um, I if, so with, especially with with land ramp if you're playing rampant growth or, or any of those types of things that are grabbing lands out of your library and putting them on the battlefield um, you're taking lands out of the deck, which means you can't draw those later. It's the same reason that I don't consider a fetch land because a true land or going up a land because you're just taking out a a land that you could be drawing later because you're you're thinning the deck out. Um, In 60 card formats in in Modern and Legacy, especially where fetch lands kind of run rampant, like you might see somebody who keeps a a, a hand and they play their fetch land, but they don't crack if they don't get a land out of their deck because they want to draw an additional land on their draw step. And so taking a land out of there just prevents them from doing that, it reduces the chances. So. Um, I don't ascribe to if you're playing ramp sources um, you can go down on lands I think you want to have your your lands set because you typically in a game of commander which is all about resource accumulation that's what the format kind of pivots around um, whether you like it or not Um, so you want to be able to to give yourself the most opportunity to accumulate those resources and continue drawing the lands which then are going to let you cast more spells over the course of the game
0: All right, I I just want to clarify so the the thin to win argument. You're saying that the mathematics of that work a lot better in 60 card format, but they don't work out in commander. So you're,
1: you're not, they do it. not work out. Um, yeah. if you want to check out any of Frank Karsten's amazing articles, he's one of the smartest magic writers out there. Um, I know he has written many articles about thin to win and, and, uh, percentages and everything. Um, and, and he's even said in a couple articles uh, this does not translate well to Commander and Singleton formats because of the nature of it. Like, it's scarcely a thing in 60 card formats, it is mathematically irrelevant in 100 card formats.
0: Right. So for you, I just want to make sure I fully understood what you're saying. You would rather play, if you do have more ramp sources, especially the ones that go and find lands, you still think that, like, if anything, that might be causing you to play, like, almost more lands in the deck to make Um, sure? Or or was that not just a wash?
1: Yeah, it's not going to impact anything that I do about the the total lands that I'm playing. Um, So, yeah, to to answer the question directly, um, I'm not taking out lands because I'm adding in more mana rocks.
0: Yeah. I think that, like, when it comes to a strategy, again, like elves, where maybe the, you know, Marwyn might be making you mana, or if it's just, like, any old, you know, it's a green black elf commander that doesn't produce mana, like, so many of the other elves in the deck can cause such a huge population of mana insurgents, like, that can have a material effect. But giving an exact formula, like, for every two, remove one or whatever, that doesn't necessarily line up for me either. I feel like it would be difficult to ascribe that across all strategies because a deck like elves, absolutely but that isn't going to have the same resonance in a deck like dragons for that kind of thing i feel like it doesn't necessarily there isn't ever a clean easy formula dana like you said at the top of the show this is more of an art than it is a science and trying to give it an exact formula is probably going to end up just not really communicating properly with the actual style and strategy of deck that you're playing and that's more where your focus should be than trying to find those secret hack formulas to to try and to try and crack it
1: Yeah, the only thing close that I've come to in in my own decks is my Alila Artfold Provocateur deck. Um, It already had so many sources of artifact ramp, but that was when I was running 37 lands, so I've shaved down over the course of time, but I've added in Ponder and Cantrip effects just to smooth everything out in general because I always seem to have too many lands, um, and I was drawing too many, so I just kind of added some card selection into it instead of adding more artifacts to cut down on the lands.
2: Well, that kind of raises an interesting question. I guess I will ask the two of you um, because I have my own answer here. What is the first thing you do when you feel like a deck doesn't quite have enough lands? Is it add another land? Because it generally isn't for me Uh when I feel like, oh, man, this deck needs like I, I wish I had one more land in it. I'm just going to add another draw spell is generally what I do. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe eventually I will feel like, okay, that didn't solve my problem. But like, if, if I feel like a couple of weeks later that one draw spell wasn't quite enough, then I'll go, I guess I should add one more. <laughs> that That's usually what I do. I, I tend to feel like my my 36 to 37 lands is plenty. And if I'm not seeing them consistently enough, it's because I'm not drawing enough cards, not that I don't have enough lands. But But is that unique to me or is that... Is that what you guys do as well? Dana, I, I, something,
0: something. It's raining outside have a big breath. <laughs> right. I feel like the things <laughs> you just said there are a little <laughs> bit loosely related. If I think my deck needs another land, my instinct is to <laughs> like, put another land in it. The that card makes velocity sense. Is, is a thing to address for sure. But if I feel like I'm not hitting my mana... That, you're absolutely right that there are multiple factors to pay attention to there and the card velocity is something that could be playing a role. So it's good to be like to examine the deck more thoroughly and understand that. I really love that point. But if I think it needs a land, my instinct is to grab a land and not to grab I, I, some I, other draw spell. That just totally that.
2: makes sense. I, it, it, it's, I might well be the outlier here.
1: Okay, <laughs> yeah, I, so, I, I'm taking Joey's side on this argument as well. Like if if it needs rare. lands, it needs lands. It doesn't need draw spells. All right. Um, yeah. Rare thing yeah, yet. it doesn't matter how many lands I'm or how many cards I'm drawing. If I'm not drawing any of the lands because I don't have enough in the deck, um it that's not really going to change.
0: So it occurs to me that over the course of the show we've talked a bit about the commanders that we have that play the least number of lands, but I am actually just for curiosity's sake kind of curious like Matt, what is the deck that you played that has the greatest number of lands in it? And and why that might be?
1: Um, well I know exactly why these two decks are, are running 45 and 46 lands respectively um, and it's because they're landfall decks um, oh but okay. so uh, so AC tyrant of Gary streets it's the uh, simic precon that's all about landfall and you um, it's basically tatiova on steroids um, so you're just playing a lot of lands you're drawing a bunch of cards you're playing more lands and drawing more cards um it's it's a little easy for that deck to get out of hand but I just I want as many cards in, or as many lands in the deck because every time I play a land I'm getting rewarded for it, whether it's drawing cards or I have some landfall triggers or anything like that. Or I just want a bunch of lands because then I can cast uh, Engulf the Shore and and bounce everybody's uh, creatures back and just go crazy with that. Um, but also I have Omnath locus of Rage which is running 46 lands um, and that's just all about getting a bunch of lands in play and I'm doing stuff like scapeshift with Valakut in play um, so I'm just doming the table or I'm just generating a bunch of elementals uh, so both of those strategies like I'm intentionally running a lot of lands because I just want them I'm benefiting from playing more of them yeah um, and I'm casting spells that are putting more of them into play and so yeah, it, it, both of them, they're intentionally running a very large number, um, but it's kind of crazy actually thinking about it now because Omnath counting the, uh, the dual-faced cards, um, I'm running 48 land-ish cards because I have a couple of them that I can play. So yeah, almost half the deck could be a land.
0: And for the record, that's more lands than the typical landfall deck tends to play. Definitely. Do you have do you have an inkling though, you know, barring landfall? Because I guess, you know, in retrospect, that question was kind of obvious. Barring landfall, though, do you have an inkling of what your most land voluminous deck might be?
1: Um, I believe it is the Boros Precon deck, the Lore or the Lorehold, excuse me, Lorehold Precon deck from Strixhaven. Um gotcha. Because uh, that deck came with thirty-seven, I believe, and I added an extra one because um, the deck kind of struggles, and, and like I need res- I need a lot of resources in that deck. Um, it's and kind of low powered. Um, it's, it's precon well, plus. And, Go ahead and and. T- to
0: clarify, there just because I know when looking through data for the face commander of the deck, Ozgir, Ozgir runs a lot lower on lands because he's really mm-hmm. good at creating more mana rocks. But you've opted for Alibu, and I just want to make that.
1: that I have, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I put Alibu at the front, um, so it's it's still wants a bunch of lands though, um, because all these these you know things that are going to be making lots of different artifacts, uh, they cost a lot of mana. Mere Battlesphere is not a cheap card <laughs> when it comes to the mana, so need gotcha. the lands. Okay.
0: Okay, so then Dana, how about you? Same question, what's the deck that you're playing that runs the most lands? And I'm going to stop you from saying a landfall answer
2: um my, my landfall deck doesn't have a ton of lands in it um i don't say these words to me dana you don't make any sense well, it, it, and to be fair it's not <laughs> really a landfall deck it's more of a lands matter deck i i, I don't do crazy landfall things in it so it, it, there's a reason that deck compared to matt's ac deck it, it looks a little bit different in terms of land counts my most really is my crash deck at 37 that's the most lands are in any of my decks is is, is only 37. In um, one thing I will say that I definitely do in thinking about it, um, and this probably harkens back to my comment about adding a draw spell when I feel like I'm short of land, <laughs> I tend to tweak my deck around the land count that I've already decided I want to have versus tweaking <laughs> the land count around what plays well. Like if I feel like my deck isn't playing well with the amount of lands I want, I adjust the deck so it's okay with that amount. <laughs> versus vo- versus doing it the other way around I, uh, i'm got what
0: kind of what kind of like so, ad- adapt
2: to the heliocentric so, model so here's so the here's universe, the lo- here's, there, there, here's the logic to that i want to have a lot of toys like i want to have all the fun <laughs> cards in my deck and I don't want to have to play 40 lands to to be able to play all those toys. I want to be able to, you know, only play 36 lands and have access to four more toys. We're, so we're, I will <laughs> tweak the deck to allow me <laughs> to be able to get away with running 36. But um, anything less than that is too few. But I tend to stay, yeah, 37 is the most I'm running. And it tends to be 36 in
1: way more of my decks than, than not. I feel like I've discovered secrets old, on this podcast that I don't. Yeah, good do old... Not, Dana Moses Roach, because everything's Very, set in my, stone. I, I
2: am not going to argue that's the correct way to do it. I'm just saying <laughs> <Okay>. that's <laughs> what I tend to do. As long as we're on the
0: same page there. Uh. Right. I'm, I'm I hear 37. I'm like that's the average for me. The deck that I have, not Titania, which is my land based deck, that has 40. And that if we're not counting lands, the next one after that is Thalise, which I think is like 38, maybe even 39, because the curve in that deck tends to. I've got so many cards that cost five mana that I really want to be able to play, and I can't afford to miss a land drop. So that's one for me. That's the kind of answer that I was looking for, Dana. Meanwhile, you're like, oh yeah, my Landfall deck. It's got 20 lands in it, and I'm just like, I don't know what to do with you sometimes, dude. That's great.
2: It, it has has 36 in it um for my for my gruel landfall deck <laughs> um I, I, I also note though another difference i think between my my brewing and in the way youtube brew is i'm much greedier with the amount of of dual lands i run you don't say um, i don't run a ton of basics in my decks and, and that's I, I would tell i would say don't emulate that <laughs> if you're someone else because um, you can absolutely get burned for that. But because I tend to run so many lands that produce multiple colors of mana, I, I tend to very frequently have the colors I need early on that let me cast the spells, let me dig deep right. I don't find myself in a position where I have to worry about colors very often. Um, I think that's something that helps me with, with that land count too. So to a degree, I am doing the thing that we say we shouldn't do, which is run too few lands. Um, uh-huh it's just that the 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 amount of lands i'm running are right at the bottom end of maybe the threshold versus down in like the 33 34 range This is this is ludicrous. I need to move on. I've got okay. Fair enough.
0: We've got uh, so there's just one final question that I want to talk to you guys about, and that actually involves a little bit more data, and this is really really interesting uh, to to sort of look over. Um, I mentioned at the top of the show that the average number of lands that appears in an EDH deck is 35, and that it's still 35 because over the past year, but year and a half, um, we've drawn this data report and looked over. Yeah, it seems to be consistently 35 but again we are rounding there and here's a distinction that i do want to make because technically we were rounding up from what the current average is which is 34.9 because i don't know you can't play 34.9 lands in a deck it's one full card so we were rounding up to 35 there but the number a year and a half ago used to be 35.4 And that I find kind of interesting. Like there has actually been a downward trend in terms of number of lands in a deck. There has been downward movement. And the folks who listen to the full podcast get to hear that. If you you didn't listen to the full thing, you won't know this secret nugget. We saved it for the end. I I just want to take the temperature in the room here and ask what you guys think about that. Like Matt, you had been mentioning the MDFCs earlier, like Balagad Recovery and those double-faced lands. Do you think that that has had a material effect on the number of lands cards that show up in players' decks. Where are you at when you hear that trend?
1: Um, I definitely think it has played an impact. I don't think it should have, though. Um, okay. I, 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 I've i been in the camp for for the the MDFCs, and I love Ballagate Recovery. It is one of my favorite cards. The utility behind it is fantastic, but I think a lot of people are treating them as lands that you can cast as spells later when they really should be spells that make sure you always have three lands in your opening hand um you want to play them as lands as soon as possible um i i, I think they they're they're tricky to play and i think it encourages people to, to have some bad deck building habits because um, i remember when they first came out people were like i'm only running 30 lands and seven mdfc's <laughs> and <laughs> that hurt my soul so bad uh,
0: that, that's a tough proposition
1: I, that, I'm, I'm yeah. there for sure yeah it's yeah. just it, it's intentionally adding monocolor. Enter the battlefield, tapped lands, and that's it's it's real rough. It's real hard to 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 justify. Um, so yeah, I I think that is definitely impacting quite a bit. Um, I think they are great cards, but I think you you always it's kind of like uh, Temple of the False God. That's one of the, a controversial <laughs> card. Whether you're you're Josh qui or Benny Smith or anyone out there, um, you want to make sure Temple of the False God is occupying a spell slot in your deck. Same with all of the MDFCs. You want balagid Recovery to be balagid Recovery. We don't call it balagid Bed or whatever the land <laughs> face what? is. I don't know what it is. The Kazul's land face thing. Um, Are you talking about Kazul's Fury, the MDFC? Kazool's yeah, Fury? but I don't know what the land face is called. So yeah, okay. we, but we we, we called them by the spell f- the, the name of the spell. Um, I think that's what you should be treating them as is treating them as lands or. Just, Treating them as spells. I'm just so backwards about these because there's just two faces to remember. Yeah, he's he, you're flip-flopping like a pancake. It's it's tough to, to keep up with you, man. I'm flip-flopping like a waffle. It has to go upside down to cook properly.
2: So my position on these has evolved a little bit since they first came out. Um, I initially was in the same boat as Matt where you need to treat them as spells or it will cause problems. I, I think I've changed that somewhat. I think it's okay to have one or two, perhaps, in your deck that you're treating as lands. However, I think you need to be disciplined and tell yourself, if one of these is in my opening hand, I'm not going to miss a land drop. Like You can't be greedy with them and say, oh, I don't know if I want to play this because I want to cast it as a spell later. If you can't consistently force yourself to play them as a land when you need to, then you need to start counting them as spells. Um, I run Balaga recovery in a couple of different green decks and I'm treating it as a land and that's what I do. I, I have told myself as a rule if I need to play it as a land, I'm playing it as a land like that's I have to do that or it shouldn't be in my deck. So I, that, for me, I think is is the difference that the, the change for me as as I've seen them over the course of the you know year or so they've been out. Um, I'm I'm okay with running a couple in the land slots as long as I'm disciplined about it.
1: Yeah, Ballagator recovery. If it's in my opening hand, I'm playing it as my very first land to yeah. take away that temptation from myself. Yeah.
0: And, and there are, of course, those cool tricks that you can do with bounce lands and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And Lord knows, I I think of the three of us, I'm the guy who plays the most bounce lands in my decks because I also love the fact that sometimes they make me discard cards and then I can reanimate them out of my graveyard. It's a great time. So like the synergy is definitely there and I do appreciate that. But I do personally still lean more towards I want to count them as spells so that I am responsible with my mana base because I already have what I consider a dangerous habit of potentially slimming downs, slimming down on lands already. So this is a rule that I'm setting for myself to make sure that I never fall victim to Yeah, I'll just cut a land to make room for these cool cards. So that is especially why I treat them as spells first and foremost. I get both of your pers- perspectives for sure. But it, it is just interesting to me to see that these could have had a role in a slightly downward trend in terms of the number of land cards that appear in a deck. Because, I mean, the amount of play that they're seeing is big. Mm. Big. Like, Balagad Recovery shows up in 13% of eligible decks, 13% of over 220,000 decks. Like, that is the same rate of inclusion, 13%, as Return of the Wild Speaker. Like, that is the, the type of, like, penetration in the format that we're talking about. I feel like that's pretty darn good. Valakut Awakening, the red MDFC that wheels your hand, that's showing up in 11% of decks. And that is a little bit lower, but it's the same inclusion rate as the card Gamble in red decks. I feel like this is a, a pretty big thing to see. Like, they are certainly popular, and we are feeling their impact. So when it comes to the number of lands that people are playing, it's really important to note that and to be aware of how your relationship is with those MDFCs, because... Even on this podcast, apparently we can't even agree about how they should be treated. But that is a, a conversation you definitely de- need to have with yourself and with
1: your own decks too. Well, and it's not even that like there, there's a right or a wrong way, unless it's Dana's way, then it's probably wrong. But. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it's just it, it's how how conscious are you being of of why you're putting X Y Z cards in the deck? And just the, today we're just talking about lands and, and cards that can be lands or should be lands. Um, but yeah, like there's no right or wrong way. It's just are are you being mindful of of why you're putting a card in there um, and how you're playing it
0: an art, not a science, as was so eloquently stated earlier. And also, guys, it's currently raining outside, so I'm going to have a big breakfast. <laughs> so how about we call this episode to a close? If our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt?
1: Well, you can find me posting breakfast pictures on Twitter over <laughs> at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H I-M-U-S 5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDH uh, Wednesday evenings, we have guests on every single week, so we make sure you tune in because the games are always a great load of fun and dana
2: you will find me giving giving me morning weather report every day <laughs> on twitter at dana roach you can hear me on my other podcasts cmdr central i'm writing articles for commanders herald and edh rec and you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash edh
0: And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter and you can find the cast at EDH RecCast on Facebook and on Twitter as well. Plus, if you've got a question, you can contact us at EDH RecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. And you can visit altersleeves.com slash EDH RecCast for cool, custom EDH Rec sleeves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH Rec Your Deck before you wreck deck and old stick fingers is right behind you.